Hello, my name is Bill Coglin, and welcome to the First Person Civil War podcast, which retells the stories of the soldiers and officers on the ground in the battles of the Civil War. Episode 3 centers on Private George N. Harris of the 19th Virginia, conspicuous at the Battle of Gaines's Mill, missing at the Battle of Glendale. And our source is entitled, The Confederate Soldier Being a Memorial Sketch of George N. and Bushrod W. Harris, Privates in the Confederate Army. With every battle of the Civil War, one constant was expected in its aftermath the casualty figures. These figures found their way from official reports to local newspapers across the North and South. For anxious families dreading to see a father, husband, son, or brother on the killed or wounded list, what happened to families that never truly received word that a family member was dead? When Private George N. Harris of the 19th Virginia was marked as missing during the Seven Days Battles outside of Richmond, Virginia, his father, George W. Harris, took it upon himself to discover the fate of his son. George and his twin brother, Bushrod Harris, were born in January of 1842 and lived in Albemarle County, Virginia. On 17 April 1861, both brothers enlisted in the Howardsville Grays, an infantry company forming in Albemarle County, as Confederate units coalesced around Manassas Junction, arriving companies were assigned regiments, and the Howardsville Grays became Company D, 19th Virginia. Though the company fought at the Battle of First Manassas, or the Battle of First Bull Run, the Harris brothers were not in the ranks. Just before the fight, the Confederate Army suffered an outbreak of measles, and Bushrod was one of the men who died from it on 30 June 1861. George accompanied his brother's remains back to their home, and after the funeral, caught measles himself. The disease took such a toll on George that he was not deemed fit for service until April 1862. George Harris rejoined the 19th Virginia at Yorktown, Virginia, which was now in Brigadier General George Pickett's brigade under Longstreet's division. But due to several coincidences, he was placed on details during every battle through Seven Pines. George was part of the wagon guard that left Yorktown just ahead of the army on 4 May. As the armies clashed at Williamsburg the next day, George requested to join the regiment already in the fight, but arrived after the fighting ended. At the Battle of Seven Pines, George Harris was detailed as a guard of deserters of the regiment, and as a punishment to those men, placed them directly behind the line of battle. At some point during the battle, George took it upon himself to capture a squad of Union soldiers, with the assistance of two men. After this battle, he was a part of the ambulance detail, but there is no mention of him in the ranks at Seven Pines. But this was now the closest to battle he had gotten so far. Before the Seven Days Battles, George Harris's father, a man of some standing in Virginia, as he was always referred to as Colonel, visited his son while the army camped outside of Richmond. This ability to visit the army would provide closure to the Harris family 
following the events of the Seven Days Battles. It was obvious that George Harris wanted to get into the fight, and he finally did so at the Battle of Gaines's Mill on 27 June 1862. On that day, Pickett's brigade advanced against elements of the 1st Division, 5th Corps, supported by a battery of artillery, which was on the western side of the battlefield. And our source states, It was in this first onset of Pickett's men that George Harris was seen clearing the smoke and dust of the battle strife, firing deliberately, falling back to the line to load. Finally, the order was given to charge, and take the battery in front of Pickett's brigade. The 19th Regiment moved forward. All the officers of the regiment then on the field had been wounded in the last hour. George Harris led in the charge, as we have before described, and in this book it provided several points of view first. He moved at the top of his speed. Without looking behind, he cried, Come on, boys! Just then, according to the account we are following, the 1st Texas and 4th South Carolina rushed forward from each side and cut off the 19th Virginia. It was this movement that placed Harris in front of the charging column. At a suitable distance, he ordered the battery to surrender. They replied by firing on the advancing line. At the command of George Harris, the fire was returned, and immediately the battery surrendered, supported by 250 men. The impetuous advance of our troops so confused and intimidated the enemy that their fire was comparatively harmless in the last assault. And the bold hand of George Harris turned the captured battery with deadly effect upon the defeated and retiring foe. After the battle, Private C. Scott Jr., Sergeant Clark, and Captain Faulkner, all from Company D, signed sworn statements that certified George Harris's actions on the battlefield. Above was the general consensus of the three statements found compiled in this episode's primary source. Since Private Harris did not write this account, you have to wonder what he could have added if he did. It's almost as if he had a chip on his shoulder for not participating in any of the previous fights, again by no fault of his own. He was in a veteran regiment, but he was still not combat-tested. Perhaps he took this opportunity to show his medal to the rest of the regiment? As this was only the third day of what would become the Seven Days Battles, Private George Harris and the 19th Virginia would soon see action again. By the Battle of Glendale, 30 June 1862, the Confederate Army continued to press the Union further away from Richmond and toward the James River, and the 19th Virginia was again sent into battle. At this battle, Private George Harris was reported as missing, and now we shift the focus to how his family reacted to the news. Casualty lists traveled fast because the next day, George W. Harris left Albemarle County to find his son. Here again I must state how unique this situation is. George W. Harris is referred to as a colonel the entire time, but I could not find military documents that confirmed what he was a colonel of. In any event, Colonel Harris, given his rank, had the ability to not only visit the army, but he made it to the Malvern Hill battlefield by the evening of 1 July, 
which was the same day as the battle. As Colonel Harris traveled, he met wounded men from the 19th Virginia at several locations that provided conflicting reports about his son. Some said they saw him alive and in camp. Others said they heard he fell at Glendale, but there was no definitive answer. At Malvern Hill, Colonel Harris could not find the 19th Virginia, and on 2 July he searched the Glendale battlefield by himself, but was unable to find his son among the unburied dead. Colonel Harris returned to his home, but after the official regimental reports published three weeks later said nothing about his son being a prisoner, which was what they expected, he again traveled to the army still camped south of Richmond to find answers. While there, he spoke with Private James Christian, who finally confirmed that George Harris was dead. At the Battle of Glendale, 30 June 1862, Harris was on the skirmish line. James Christian recounted what he saw. The skirmishing had been going on all morning, but for the most part in the woods, among the pines and tangled undergrowth. On emerging from the pines into an open, sedgy sort of plain, the first volley from the enemy's line was poured into the line of skirmishers. A young man by the name of Wingfield received a wound and fell. He called to James Christian for assistance, and on turning to him, Christian saw that George Harris too had fallen, not merely wounded, but shot through the heart. James Christian remembered where on the battlefield this happened and took Colonel Harris to the exact spot. There, they found a shallow grave with a felt hat that he personally gave his son while in camp before the Seven Days Battles began. The book used for today's episode brings up a good point about how it took so long for Colonel Harris to finally identify that his son was dead, and I think it deserves a comment here. From 25 June to 1 July 1862, the Army of Northern Virginia maneuvered and attacked the Army of the Potomac. Regimental casualties included killed, wounded, and missing, but there is also exhaustion to account for, as well as units becoming interspersed with each other that may skew the missing numbers. Remember that George Harris was separated from his regiment at Gaines's Mill. Once you are separated from the unit that knows who you are, the likelihood of someone becoming an unknown casualty inevitably increases. With this constant fighting and maneuvering, it is no wonder that the fate of a soldier could remain unknown for weeks on end. This book also presents a level of disgust for James Christian, because he did not immediately report the death of George Harris after the Battle of Glendale. But when you are surrounded by a heavy level of fighting for several days, how is one person not only expected to remember every death, but also to report it? The fact that Colonel Harris could go to the army himself was something that most people during the war could not do. One can only speculate on how many families both north and south received notice that a family member was missing in a battle and never completely received closure as to their exact fate. Colonel George W. Harris commissioned the book used for today's episode in 1868, entitled The Confederate Soldier Being a Memorial Sketch of George N. and Bushrod W. Harris, Privates in the Confederate Army. 
Reports and eyewitness accounts formed the bulk of the information concerning George and Harris during the Battle of the Seven Days, included in this book. Thank you for listening to the third episode. If you like what you heard today, and you would like to hear more episodes in the future, please consider supporting us financially by donating at the podcast website, firstpersoncivilwarpodcast.com. Again, that is firstpersoncivilwarpodcast.com. The donation link is located at the top of each webpage. While there, you can find information on where I found these first-person accounts, other source material, and links to further episodes of the podcast. My name is Bill Coglin, and thank you for listening to First Person Civil War Podcast.